Hey there, pastor, clergy, or community leader. Yeah, you. You know who I'm talking to. Is your community feeling scattered? Are you feeling worn out and frayed? Are you wondering what church looks like in 2021 or beyond? Well, guess what? Faith Street is here to help. Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. If you're interested, you can go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky because snarky faith listeners can get 20% off. That's faithstreet, F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T.com backslash snarky. You're listening to WCOMLP 103.5 FM, Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. This is not a zone for spiritual escapism, Sunday school answers, or Christianese. We're here to call it religious BS and look for better ways forward. If you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of... Sarcasm. And also a little bit of this... And you've come to the right place. Welcome home! On today's show, I'm sitting down with the Reverend Dr. Marsha Ledford to talk about political theology. It's an fantastic conversation. I think you're going to love it. But before we descend into the snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at www.snarkyfaith.com and wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, we're there and everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. If you like the show, make sure to share, subscribe, and if you're feeling generous, drop a review over on Apple Podcasts too. It helps get the word out to new listeners. If you want to interact more with the show, you can find the Snarky Faith page on Facebook. You can drop me a line directly at questions at snarkyfaith.com. And there's even a Snarky Faith hotline if you want to leave a message. The number is 919-525-1570. That's 919-525-1570. So, hey there, boys and girls. I've got to be honest with you. This show is like chocked full of content. Really, really good stuff today. So much, so much that I was like, there's no room for the Christian crazy today. But again, the Christian crazy is a bit of a habit that I just can't quit, right? If you're just tuning into the show for the first time, the Christian crazy is the choicest cuts of the Christian nuts, where we kind of expose the craziness of Christianity so we can uh, kind of make fun of it and say, hey, that has nothing to do with Jesus. So, I'm talking fast because we don't have much room for this today, but I'm going to bring you a very, very choice cut. It is a very choice cut. 
Because it's Jim Baker talking about vaccines and zombies. Yes. I don't even have time today for the intro music. I'll even do it in my mouth. Okay, intro music done. Go, Jim Baker. Give us your crazy because we don't have much time today. Zombies that are on the earth are a disease like any other disease that affects people and they become like zombies. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Forgive me, but that's only part of the story. Zombies, as zombies, also have the evil spiritual entity known as demon possession, okay? Because there is no rationale with a zombie. Uh, the best way to explain zombies' bloodlust is this, the appetite of demons expressed through humans. It should be astonishing to people that the richest people in the world, not all of them, but some of them, are into occult ceremonies where they have to drink, you know, blood that's that's extracted from a tortured child. Now that's sick. Do what? What did we just hear? Sure, that's sick. If it was real, what's really sick is this crazy asshole. This is on. I'm serious. This is on Christian television. The this is this is being sold to the masses. This is bat shit fucking crazy it's not parody it's real and they're making money off this oh jim baker you're the best you're the best at being the worst absolutely a terrible human being that continues to be a god-awful human being but does it in the name of jesus and makes money off fools wow christianity what is going on with you well We'll fix some of it today when we talk to Marsha. But before that, let's hear our sponsor. Hey there, pastor, clergy, or community leader. Yeah, you. You know who I'm talking to. Is your community feeling scattered? Are you feeling worn out and frayed? Are you wondering what church looks like in 2021 or beyond? Well, guess what? Faith Street is here to help. Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. Faith Street helps you and your staff spend less time with social media and communications and rely less on Facebook and the weekly email newsletter. It's different from apps you may have seen before because... People actually use it, and it focuses on substance over style. It's basically the anti-big box Christian community app. Help your people live life together, rally in prayer, participate more consistently, mature spiritually, and give generously. If you're interested, you can go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky, because snarky faith listeners can get 20% off. That's faithstreet, F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T dot com backslash snarky. So joining me today is the Reverend Dr. Marsha Ledford. Her ministry has been in Southwest Detroit's Latinx population, an international port with an aggressive regional ICE director. Dr. Ledford is a civil rights attorney representing society's most marginalized. An Episcopal priest, she holds a Master of Divinity from, the church, uh, from church Divinity School of the Pacific. She earned her Doctor of Ministry in Political Theology from Pacific School of Religion. Dr. Ledford founded Political Theology Matters, to help the faithful um, develop public theology. 
uh, mission and broadcast messages for greater social justice. So after all of that, welcome. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome, Marsha. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, 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 Marsha, we, we're going to be unpacking a lot today. We'll be walking okay. with a, through a lot of different stuff with you today, but I want to start unpacking you a little bit. Um, so I, in, in the paragraph of, of accolades that I'm mentioning of all the things that you've done, you're a civil rights attorney and a minister. So my question kind of here, it's a chicken and egg sort of question, like which came first, the priesthood or law school? Okay, Let's talk about your journey question. some. Yeah. Uh, law school came first, and that's because when I was uh, getting ready to go to school, I didn't see women at the pulpit or the altar. Mm. I had sensed a call to ordain ministry that when I was in my teens. So I decided, since I couldn't do that, or I didn't understand that I could, but I you know, I felt like there was not an avenue. I decided to go to law school because I could help people do that. And that's how I became a civil rights attorney. So then civil rights attorney, then what led you back? Well, funny thing about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't give up and kept poking at me uh, across all these many years. And finally, uh, in my late 40s, I decided to go to seminary. Mm -hmm. So that's how that happened. I started in Detroit, actually, at the Ecumenical Theological Seminary uh, because I was able to commute, and it, uh, their focus is on urban ministry mm -hmm. and on third world theologians, as a matter of fact. So every reading list for every class included a theologian from third world positions, mm. which I think was really just the best part about going there. Mm -hmm. um, it was a predominantly African-American school, mm -hmm. although there were a lot of older white women like me who, be, for the same reason, uh, who deferred their sense of call as young women uh, we're now giving it a try. So it was a, a nice mix of folks. But to be ordained in the Episcopal Church, you have to do Anglican studies, which is a series of courses. And so then I went to the Church Divinity School of the Pacific in Berkeley, California, mm -hmm. and finished that degree there and got my Anglican dip, as we call it, or mm -hmm. Anglican charm school. <laughs> and um I loved my time there, and it was great because I went back a few years later to study at a sister school, uh, the Pacific School of Religion, to work on my political theology degree. Now, speaking of political theology, because that's one of those things that it's 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 it's. I was like looking at people's stories and and kind mm -hmm. of seeing how God worked through them, uh, mm -hmm. because even yours being able to to mix these two very just divergent <laughs> um, mm -hmm. the schools of thought um, into mm -hmm. one beautiful thing that comes together. Mm -hmm. And one of the main reasons I wanted to, to have you on the show was to talk about these, these murky waters of politics and religion. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes uh, we see them walked out um, in weird and perverse ways, kind of like the religious right or anything having to do with MAGA. Um, so we, we've mm -hmm. seen, we've seen that, that in these, in these, almost dehumanizing ways um, where we begin to see faith wield politics as, as a weapon. Now, yes. from, from your eyes, how should we approach politics through the, through the eyes and the lens of faith? 
Well, first of all, we need to understand the concept of separation of church and state is an ideal. It, uh, it was the First Amendment when it was enacted in 1791 was like nothing the world had ever seen before because you could get in the public square, whatever that was at the time, and you could complain about the government and, you know, speak your mind about what, what things should be happening. This was unheard of. I, back in England, you know, you spoke against the crown and you could get your tongue cut out. So mm -hmm. this is a very different thing. We have this freedom to engage in political discourse in the United States. And so it's appropriate for us to speak our faith in order to help craft policy and law that is more compassionate. In other mm -hmm. words, that is, you know, in, in keeping with the gospel, which mm -hmm. is to love one another. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will say, well, you're trying to create a Christian theocracy, a progressive Christian theocracy. And my answer to that is no. That's not what the First Amendment was designed for, and that's not what I'm advocating. Mm -hmm. the, the First Amendment brings all the voices to the public square. All the perspectives can come and be heard. That's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And we need to be sure that our voice is heard with respect to, hey, you know, the gospel says care for one another. So that's what our laws hopefully are going to do. Um, for us to be quiet all the time is not in keeping with the gospel. And remember, you know, we've got the First Amendment. Jesus didn't have it. We, we have protection, you know. <laughs> Easter would have been a little different with the First Amendment. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, you know, we need to get out there and say, look, this is wrong. We need to do this. Mm -hmm. and I, and I, but I love how you, you begin to frame the whole thing that, we, that we're starting from a place of love. Mm -hmm. um, because I think a, a lot of the times when, when I begin to see things go off track when it comes to uh, religion inserting itself into politics, it ends up being more for, for power, um, more for uh, coercion, uh, for being able to push and force. Whereas mm -hmm. you're talking about really something that's more open, um, where mm -hmm. we're able to hear different voices and different things mm -hmm. of, of that nature coming to the table. And, exactly. I think you're, and I think a lot of times, not to say that there's definitely Christian right and there's a Christian left, it's, I don't think they're quite as organized, but I think that I like the importance not. <laughs> of being able to, but I think that's kind of a beautiful thing too, because if not being as organized also means <laughs> we're not trying to, yeah, be coercive and, and, and dominant and forceful in how we're doing things. But I think we, like you, you're right. We've been too, right. we've been I, quiet I, for too long. I think. What makes me really frustrated with the Christian left particularly, mm -hmm. is that we're always on our back foot. We are always responding and reacting to something that has been said in more conservative corners of Christ's holy vineyard, uh, stuff that we don't agree with. And we're constantly put in a position, and we let ourselves be put in this position, I want mm. to be clear about that, mm -hmm. where we are responding. Instead of putting our stuff out there, instead of framing proactively what we believe the gospel is about, mm -hmm. uh, and in allowing ourselves to be put on the back foot, to be in a reactionary position all the time, lends credibility to the fact that 
uh, those who put it out there first are in yeah. charge, are, you know, uh, the true sing singular interpreters of the Bible. And yeah. that is simply not true. Mm -hmm. So we need to be much, much more organized, like you said. Mm -hmm. And I will say organizing uh, typically people who are progressive across, you know, a lot of specters. It's like herding cats uh, <laughs> because people... <laughs> People are very independent thinkers. And it's like yeah. you said, too, it's wonderful in a way. Uh, it's also a great big pain in another yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. So we have to find a way to come together on issues where we are in strongest agreement and be more vocal about it. Well, what do you think keeps us? You'd mentioned like uh, oftentimes that we end up being more responsive. Um, we're mainly back against our heels. Mm -hmm. what, what keeps us there? Is it just that we're not as organized or what, what do you, what do you think? Keeps uh, us in that because posture? I think because we are very nice. Hmm. I think it's because we don't want to uh, get into conflict. Hmm. We don't like telling people what to do. We do not like uh, bullying people into believing like we do. And there's a whole lot of that going on in more evangelical and conservative circles. Mm -hmm. The, this presumption that they have the one true uh, interpretation. And if you don't do, do X, Y, and Z, uh, you are not a true believer. Yes. And so uh, generally that's not where we're coming from. Um, I, I also think that uh, we, are we are more concerned about that separation of church and state. That's true. That's very true. I, I think that I have sensed for a long time that there's this desire from certain messaging coming from certain conservative areas of the Christ's vineyard, as I like to call it, uh, uh, have no problem blending. I mean, we saw this on, on January yeah. 6th yeah. in a big, ugly, terrible way. Jesus saves as people are crashing into the U.S. Capitol. Mm. Well, so there I, you go. Yes, and I, I don't. Well, I, I just want to pick your brain on this one. This one thought too. Now that yeah, you bring, sure. up, bring up the Capitol too, um, we we mm -hmm. oftentimes see like religious fundamentalism um, and institutionalized racism, uh, and they seem to breed well in churches. Um, mm -hmm. Why? <laughs> Why, why, why do you see that? Why does this happen? Why do you think this happens? Because it should be the opposite. Yeah. Uh, I think the bottom line is fear. You know, we were talking a minute ago about love versus power. Mm -hmm. And I think the driving force, unmistakably, is fear. The fear of losing white privilege. The fear of uh, having to answer for the institutional racism um, and Reconstruction era lynching and slavery and all of the ugliness that has gone on. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a real fear about facing that reckoning. Mm. And so as long as it is maintained as the power structure, mm -hmm. then the reckoning is not going to happen. Mm. That's my opinion, but mm -hmm. I, I think it's I think that's what we saw on January 6th. Yeah, I, I think I th we saw. 
I think we saw white people saying, um, we're some white people saying, uh, we're in charge and this is our place and we're not giving it up, you know, and look at what we're willing to do to maintain white privilege. Mm -hmm. it, it's amazing the, the links that we will go to not um, to avoid contemplation. <laughs> or self-assessment. Yeah. Uh, so we, we'll keep going. Just keep moving. Keep hurting people. Keep going. As long as I don't mm -hmm. have to think deeply about my actions or, <laughs> or, my, or my soul. Yes, that could, uh, that, but that, that, that does, that gels. I, I, I totally hear what you're saying with that. Well, what, what I want you to do, educate us a little bit, because this is, this is one of your fields. Um, I want to talk a little bit more of political theology. So can you give us a working definition of political theology? Political theology can be simply defined as speaking faithfully, so taking your faith tradition, whatever it may be, into the public square, and there's lots of different places that could be a public square, we'll talk about that in just a minute, in order to effectuate greater social justice. Now there's a little fourth prong there too, which is to as large an audience as possible. And, you know, sometimes that's possible and sometimes it isn't. And that's fine. That doesn't mean don't do it if your audience is small. It just means try to get as much bandwidth as you can each time. Mm -hmm. So a faith-based message could be one of the many world religions uh, having something similar to the golden rule. Mm -hmm. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So when I talk about faith-based speech... I'm talking about from whatever religious tradition you come from. The presumption is not Christianity. Um, it could be Judaism. It could be Islam. It could be Hinduism. You know, it could be from anywhere. I live in Southeast Michigan, and we have the largest Muslim slash Arab population in the United States outside of the Middle East. Uh, we have a very large Jewish community. So the Abrahamic traditions, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, are all very much at work uh, in Southeast Michigan. And so I would be remiss to not include them mm -hmm. uh, in my discussions and teaching. Um, but we also have many Asian traditions here. We've got Jains and Sikhs and Hindus and Buddhists and, you know, I mean, you name it, and they are here. So the First Amendment provides for any tradition to speak their faith, to exercise their religion in whatever manner that may be. It could be speaking at a protest. It could be in worship in your house of worship. It could be many, many things. Bringing water to somebody in a voting line. Okay, so... Uh, mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so that's the first part speaking faithfully. And then public square can be lots of different things, Stuart. It could be this podcast. It could be any podcast. Mm -hmm. It That's could be, you know, in the halls of Congress. It could be in your local city hall. It could be the park. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of places where we can um, speak publicly. In other words, people have access to participate mm -hmm. uh, if, they, if they want to. That's my sort of loose definition there. Anything that's on uh, free public TV, radio, anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then the, the third prong of that is uh, speaking so that some sort of unjust situation can be rectified. 
And that falls under particularly the assembly clause of the First Amendment, the right to peaceably assemble mm -hmm. um, for the redress of grievances. So you're ad addressing the government um, about things that are not that you view to be not right. Mm. So to, just to quickly recap, it's speaking, speaking faithfully in the public square for greater social justice to as large an audience as possible. Now you, well, you, as I think as we've already talked about on the show, and I know we'll talk about your book coming out a little bit later, but, but I know much of your background is involving the First Amendment. Um, yes. Um, and so I want you just to give us a quick, quick little just education on the difference um, right now, because we have folks that, especially on the right, that are calling like, oh, cancel culture is happening everywhere. Yeah. We can't mm -hmm. speak. We can't do anything. Oh, but uh -huh. what about the First Amendment? So right. what are they getting wrong in that argument? Well, cancel culture, I, I think the phrase really is just designed to say, I, I don't really like what you're doing and I, I want you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, to, to be fair, if, if you want to use this term, cancel culture, I think it goes on on both sides. Yeah. Um, but that's not what I think it really is. I think it's it's about accountability culture. Mm -hmm. I think it's about calling out something that is uh, directly unjust or inherently unjust and saying, you know, this isn't right. And so, for example, in one of my blogs a ways back, I talked about boycotting Goya food products uh, because the president was at the White House um, touting whatever and making money off of products that are bought by Latinos who uh, are being treated, were being treated terribly by mm -hmm. that administration. Um, I think that's just a manner, a matter of saying, look, you've chosen to do this. And so I'm choosing to say, don't buy your products. Mm -hmm. I'm not canceling you. You know, I can't wave a magic wand and you're just, you know, you disappear. But the fact of the matter is, is uh, we need to hold people accountable for their actions. Yes. Now, you want to really talk about a cancel culture, let, you know, there's this new Georgia voting law that's yeah. trying to cancel out the black vote, period. Mm -hmm. They're really not being all that uh, subtle. Yes, yes. <laughs> in the legislation. I shouldn't laugh, but I mean... It's so ridiculous. It is I just think ridiculous. they've lost their minds. Well, it's funny because I think when people whine about cancel culture, what gets me is um, one, one, of the, uh, one of my day jobs is I'm an ESL teacher, um, and I work with a lot of people in Southeast Asia. And, you know, if you want to know what cancel culture mm -hmm. is, look at the Chinese government. You know, <laughs> someone speaks out, yeah. and they disappear. Right. And <laughs> that would be officially right. canceling someone when they just disappear. And now yes. if someone gets That's off, correct. someone said something and there was consequences, I feel oppressed. That's kind of how we are in America. We don't really mm -hmm. know how good we have it a lot of times. Right. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Now, 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 what would, how would you differentiate um, political theology and American civil religion? How do we differentiate those two? What's the difference okay. between those? Yeah. Uh, American civil religion, which may I say is alive and unwell in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, you typically what happens is something that is not from a sacred text 
becomes sacralized. So it becomes like it's sacramental, it's sacred. Mm -hmm. So uh, you have that. And there are typically three prongs to, to this test to determine if you've got uh, an American, a, a civil, civil religion. Um, the second one is some kind of a creed develops to legitimize and further sanctify whatever it is in the first prong, okay? Lawyers love prongs, we love prongs because it helps us count and keep track of all of the criteria uh, that are required to meet a test. So then the third prong is uh, basically um, uh, demanding that everybody buy into it. So let's use this test to see if we have a civil religion in the United States right now. Um, let's take white privilege. Okay. Yeah. So white privilege is this thing that doesn't de derive from the Bible. There were no white people in the Bible, I might That's, add. Except for Jesus. We know he was uh, white. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep so, going, sorry. No, it's fine. So we've got... You know, white privilege has become the sacred thing among certain groups. Um, and just being white early, you know, prior to even to the in inception of the United States, a whiteness was it. That was the superior thing to be. Um, <clears throat> so the second thing is some kind of a creed that goes alongside and helps to further um, elevate and sacralize. And so what do you think that might be? It first appeared in 2015. It's usually on a red hat. Yes, so yes, we have the Make America Great Again. Make America Great Again. Okay, yeah. so what are we talking about there? Uh, let's roll back our yep. history a little bit and see how great we were. Georgia took that seriously, right? We kind of moved uh, back to that's Jim Crow. Quite right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Mm -hmm. So, make America great again. Yep. Typically, when you have that kind of nostalgia involved, it's designed to erase or cleanse mm -hmm. or uh, perhaps exorcise the bad stuff that went on and only focus on the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And in this case, uh, making America great again will only suit and be good for primarily white straight men. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, and how far back are we going to be great again? That's true. Are we going? Are we going back to slavery? Are we going back to the Reconstruction Oof. era? Mm -hmm. Are we? You know, where exactly do we go to be great again? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm not really sure what the answer would be to mega folks, but mm. it, I think I'd rather not know. I, I don't either. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't want to hear the answer. Uh. So, so there's the, the second prong. And then yep. the last prong is basically making everybody, you know, uh, assent to this at the risk of being called unpatriotic or, mm. you know, a traitor or all those kinds of things. So, such that these first two things kind of get shoved down your throat. Yeah. Political theology takes something sacred mm -hmm. and uses it as the benchmark, if you will, uh, for your conduct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
So what does that look like? And how can I take that into the public square to arrive at a place of greater justice, inclusion, and care, compassion? Because hello, that's what the message was. Yeah. You know, have compassion for one another. So political theology is very much based on actual text, sacred text. Now, in a lot of your work that you've done, even me going through the blog posts and stuff, you, you talk about like the spirituality of resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and why, why is that important to social justice work? I get asked a lot from folks about, you know, what do I do? Our problems are so complex. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot out there that's going wrong and needs to be fixed. And, and I think a lot of us especially feel that way these days. And of course, COVID has really revealed the cracks in the system in big ways. I mean, ultimately, if we uh, are good stewards and good disciples of Jesus, we will take this new knowledge and we will work to fix these problems mm-hmm. and turn a challenge into an opportunity. Yes, yes. Um, but the spirituality of resistance is, it, it, again, there are two prongs, Stuart, you'll be very excited. There's, there's two prongs. <laughs> uh, the first one is uh, doing the personal inner work. Mm-hmm. One of the things I encourage people to do, and I'm writing about this in my book, is to spend some time to understand and don't just assume what's important to you. What are your passions and what drive what drives you? Mm-hmm. What are the things that really drive you? For me, it's justice and equality. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can draw a line through everything that I've ever done, and there is some relationship to working towards more justice and equality. I just happen to be lucky enough right now to to converge the things that I love the most, which are the gospel and the constitution. Mm -hmm. Um, The spirituality of resistance asks you to spend time meditating and praying and journaling. Uh, Maybe take a, if you've never done it, take the Mm Myers-Briggs and find out your personality inventory from that perspective. I also recommend the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Um, take a, a conflict inventory. In other words, what is your threshold for conflict? Mm-hmm. And in learning if you're an introvert or an extrovert through Myers-Briggs, that will tell you some things about yourself as well in terms of, you know, how much on the front lines do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, some introverts do are on the front line. Uh, I'm not saying they, they're predis- you know, uh, predisposed to not doing that, but we all have to play to our strengths and, mm. and we have to know what drives us. Mm. The second part of that then is finding a way to, to act, to you know, not just sit on this information, but to take our skills and abilities and all of that and join with others to effectuate some form of justice work. Mm-hmm. And people also ask me, well, where can I go? And I, my response is typically to do community organizing uh, because these folks are smart. 
they are well-versed on the issues. They've mm -hmm. done power analyses. They have countless ways to do public theology that are nonviolent, but also get attention of folks who are in power and making decisions uh, to answer for what they're doing. And you'll meet amazing people when you do that. You'll meet people who are dedicated to justice and it's an amazing experience to stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody that you've gotten to know and you really respect them mm. for what they bring to the table. Mm. There is power in numbers. Mm -hmm. There's power in numbers. So the individual part is important so that we know where to plug ourselves in. Mm -hmm. But the gathering together is the key. Mm -hmm. And that's how we can make change happen. And of course, Martin Luther King understood this and mm -hmm. Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. And, you know, I could go on and on. Uh, Katie, B., um, Katie Elizabeth Stanton. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Katie Stanton, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you get the you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, so no. yeah, go ahead. The spiritual, the, sorry, the spirituality of resistance helps us get away from avoiding problems or um, denying them. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's very easy for all of us to uh, put, put all these problems under the floorboards of our conscience, consciousness. Uh, Roger Gottlieb is responsible for that marvelous quote. Mm -hmm. Avoiding and denying that stuff is out there that's really bad is not good for us. Yeah. And it's better to face it mm -hmm. and lean into it and work to get rid of it than it is to sit huddled in a corner somewhere. Mm. I think the confusion over the separation of church and state, for, especially for people working from a faith-based perspective, is very confusing. Um, I, I really think, you know, I've heard it over and over. And, well, we can't do that. You know, a church can't do that. There's separation of church and state. Well, that's not a clause in the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. the, the prohibition is to Congress. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion. Mm. Okay. So what we've done is we've taken that prohibition against Congress, and we've put it on ourselves, especially people who are more progressive minded and don't, mm -hmm. you know, want to get into a big fracas in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, a huge part of this is mm -hmm. that we think we are not allowed to. And of course, as individuals, uh, we can get out there and do whatever we want. Churches yeah. do have some limitations, but they're pretty much limited to around a, an election cycle. Yeah. And, and most of the prohibitions, like in the Johnson Amendment, are really just protecting churches from being disgusting. <laughs> it's kind of how, how I've, if you've ever, I've, I've literally been in a church where they were, they, they handed out in the bulletins, it was uh, telling you how to vote. It was like, it was exactly yeah, oh, yeah. that kind of, or having yeah. elected officials come and take time for, instead of the sermon on, on, mm -hmm. on a morning. So I feel like those mm -hmm. are more of like the disgusting versions that we try to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, those are the gross things. And, and you're right. I think even for me sometimes too, I've, I've seen it done poorly. And I've always, I've always just said, no, I don't want to ever look like that or be like right. that, but you're right. Mm -hmm. But, but one's disgusting and they're, they really don't have anything to do with each other, us organizing and us moving forward and us engaging people. Um, right. so I think that's, that's, that's right. And you said something too. I, I like this and I'm going to, 
I, I will do like a bit of a lightning round. Um, for okay. You. Okay. Now, now, because you said sometimes people have a hard time seeing that political issues um, can also be issues of faith um, mm -hmm. and theology. So, like, just for an example, I'll give you a couple of hot button topics that are happening right now that I think that Christians may try to like stay away from. So voting rights. How how does voting rights, Marsha, what does that have anything to do with political theology and faith? Well, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we have a responsibility as citizens to voice our opinion on the referenda that are put before us mm -hmm. and in selecting candidates who are going to, you know, act in ways that we want them to for the betterment of society. So voting is very much a Christian duty. Mm -hmm. I love it. Now, what about? Or, uh, I think it's a duty for. I think it is for everybody. For it's it's a city. Yeah, I, that's how I tell people. I it's, 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 a, it's it's yeah. I well, I always get mad at people when I hear people complaining about politics, and then I eventually get to the point of asking, "Did you vote?" And they'll be like, "No." And see, yeah. I, my, I feel like that's the uh -huh. it's the bait. It, that's the lowest amount of community engagement you can almost do is 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 showing up to yes. vote. And I, and I'll tell people right. sometimes I'm like, then I'm not saying your opinion doesn't matter, but it kind of doesn't matter if you're not even willing to show up and vote um, yeah. in the first place. That's right. just intellectually lazy to, to try to have opinions about something you're not willing to do. Okay, living wage. How is this an issue of faith? Well, it's very much an issue of faith because uh, people on the margins who struggle, mm -hmm. Jesus commands us to care for them. Mm -hmm. And to require, I don't know how long it's been since the minimum wage was raised, but it's an astonishingly oh, wow. long, yep. astonishingly long time it's a couple of decades mm -hmm. to expect people to live on a wage that does not keep up with inflation is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what it does is it institutionalizes poverty. And Jesus had a whole lot to say about caring for the poor. Yes. So I think it is our responsibility to make sure that there is a bottom bottom line, bottom threshold for wages so that people can put a roof over their head and have food and care for their children. Mm -hmm. I like it. It's a now, very Christian. It should be. Very, it should be. Yeah. It should be. Allowing yeah. people to care for themselves and care for their families should be. You would assume that. Yes. But there's there's a ton of pushback and people don't like that. Um, right. And, and this this last one, which I feel like is very dear to your heart, uh, with a lot of the work that you've uh, done, uh, okay. Im immigration. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, immigration stems from uh, our racist beginnings. Um, nearly a century before the United States. Well, it was over a century before the United States was founded. Slavery had been with us for 10 generations. Slavery came here in 1619. Mm. So we have never, we never had a time at the beginning of our country where slavery was not practiced. So let that sink in for a minute. Mm -hmm. So uh, people with black skin or brown were deemed to be actually not human or weren't counted like other humans uh, by the Congress, I might add. Mm -hmm. uh, and this instilled in us an attitude that anybody who is not white is inferior. And we are definitely seeing that being meted out by what's going on at our Southwest border and how we are treating 
uh, folks from the Latin, uh, Latinx diaspora. Mm -hmm. um, what we're doing is criminal. I've called these detention places concentration camps. I think that's exactly what they are. And people are dying in them, not in the way that we know of concentration camps uh, from the Holocaust, but at the same time with squalid conditions mm -hmm. and we are tearing babies from the arms of their parents. Um, we feel some, I think there is some sense, particularly with the last administration, uh, some sense of agency and entitlement to do that because they're brown. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. I, 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 love, I love how you bring that back to us because, I mean, I think that the heart of, one of the things I feel like a lot of American Christianity has lost is, is they have become so aligned with the empire that they, 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 yeah. can't, they can't see the gospel anymore because the gospel is never aligned with the empire. <laughs> and, and we look at things through, through the eyes of the empire and we try to say, but, 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 but. Um, and I think Jesus would also be telling us, wait a second, but, 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 back to you. That's not, that's, you, mm -hmm. you guys are doing this wrong. Um, good. I, 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 I appreciate it. I, thank you for your perspective on those things too, because I think too often do we just say those are political things that have nothing to do with faith and we just move along because like you said, they are inconvenient and we want to just put them in our floorboards and walk away. Some scholars, some American history scholars wrote a book about uh, mob lynching of Mexicans and actually per capita, more Mexicans were lynched than African-Americans. And I'm talking about in the 1800s and yeah. going into the uh, 1900s. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you think I'm making this up, I'm not, um, it's, uh, it goes to this sense of skin color is, um, the final arbiter of the quality of what your life is going to be. Mm. And we can't talk about it. We're, we're still struggling to even talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, now we've had this undeniable thing happen with M Mr. Floyd Mm -hmm. um, and it's forcing us to have to talk about it, but we still don't want to. Mm -hmm. we, we still don't want to deal with the reckoning that is coming. Yes, yes. And now, yeah. It is, it is. Um, now with, with all this that we've talked about today and all this that we've gone through, um, if, if people are wanting to, to dip their toes in the waters of political advocacy mm. and getting involved, how would you recommend mm -hmm. Where would you recommend them go? Like where, where's a good place for them to start? Okay. So the first thing I would do is use the Google machine. <laughs> and after you've uh, done some work, I'll put uh, the spirituality of resistance. I'll put that book title in your show notes. Mm -hmm. uh, I recommend reading it. It's an easy read. It's not, you know, super jargoned up and whatnot uh, by Roger Gottlieb. I recommend that you do that. Uh, his focus is on environmental justice, but you can easily take whatever he's teaching and apply it to the issues you wanna work on. So do that work, do your inner work um, and use Google to find commun community organizing near you. Mm. Um, not all community organizing entities are faith-based. Mm. I work with one that isn't faith-based. Um, because I love the work they do. Mm -hmm. But I can still express my uh, faith-based positions through their work 
regardless of whether the message is necessarily faith-based. Mm. So keep that in mind if you live in an area where there's not uh, a lot of community organizing opportunities. Mm -hmm. You can also probably participate right now online with a lot of a lot of them. Gamaliel is faith faith-based. G A M E L I E L Gamaliel. Um, but look for look number one for entities, and then number two, look to see if they're faith-based, if you can, um, and look at the issues they're working on. Find an entity that is doing stuff that you believe in. Mm, I like that. Um, it, you know, even if it's uh, uh, Moral Mondays, uh, Reverend Dr. Barber's group down there near you, mm -hmm. um, they're doing incredible work with the Poor People's Campaign. Mm -hmm. So that's a great place to get engaged with political theology. I recommend doing that first because you can get in with a group. You'll get a sense of belongingness. There'll be that, you know, uh, you'll have that collegiality with other people, other people who are uh, finding issues important like you do, mm -hmm. and you'll learn how to do stuff. Yeah. You know, and then you can go on from there. But I think those are great ways to get started. Mm -hmm. Also, be in contact with your elected officials at the state and federal le level, especially. Uh, and you might say, well, my, my federal representatives all do what I want them to do anyway, so why do I need to be in touch with them? Because they keep track. Mm. They keep track of yeas and nays on what they're doing because it helps them answer to uh, people who are challenging them by saying, look, I've heard from X number of constituents and blah, 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 and they support what I'm doing, and I'm here to, you know, to bring their voice to Congress. Mm -hmm. So never uh, think that it doesn't matter, even if you're in agreement with your elected officials, it matters. No, I like those, those are good. Now, now for one of my last questions I'm gonna have for you. So in, in I want, this is a perspective issue for you. Um, oh, okay. so, in, so in your eyes, we, we are like living, we're living in this post Easter world, <laughs> literally. Um, yeah. And, but what challenges do you see on the horizon right now in regards to advocacy and resistance? What, what do you see through your specific lens are gonna be hurdles or challenges? Uh, I feel like we're kind of on a teeter-totter mm. uh, for the next probably eight to 10 years. I think it's gonna take that long for us to finally settle down and figure out who we wanna be when we grow up. <laughs> the, <laughs> the next two years, are, are really critical to keeping us on the constitutional path and not jump in the guardrails, which mm -hmm. we almost did. Mm -hmm. That in part was because we had a leader who had absolutely no respect and would ha happily set aside our constitution. Mm -hmm. um, so I, we have to be vigilant about getting people in the Congress who are gonna preserve our democracy who respect the constitution and understand what it's designed to do and uh, to make sure that it's protected because mm -hmm. January 6th, we almost, we just almost went over the cliff. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I think that's our big challenge for the next two years. Okay. Testing people who are running for office, making sure we are uh, all getting to the polls regardless of what 
draconian legislation is thrown up in our faces, getting souls to the polls, as we like to say, mm -hmm. um, th those are critical. Those are critical. Supporting Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris. Mm -hmm. Those are good. Now, um, we talked, we teased this earlier on our show a little bit about you having a book coming out okay. towards the end of the year. Tell us a little more about this book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, as a matter of fact, um, this book is designed to be a how-to manual for people to, and it'll talk about some of the things that I've already mentioned about uh, doing some spiritual uh, groundwork, mm -hmm. uh, aligning yourself with groups that work on things that are important to you, and there'll be some theology uh, from the Gospels about Jesus, how Jesus was a public theologian and how we're called to do that, mm -hmm. as well as Moses. Mm -hmm. um, so it's coming out in uh, December, and uh, I'll let Stuart know when it launches. Yes, we will have you back on for sure. Uh, I would love. Oh, that's yeah, awesome! We'll have you back on. Yes, yeah. No, we'll have you back on to talk about this book when it comes out because I'd love to. I'd okay. love to talk about it. I love getting people involved, um, and 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 yes, especially with causes that are worthy. Um, and I think things that we need to be able to do to be able to grab hold of the. The future like how do we want this future to walk out um right now and it, you know i think we we either can we can either ignore it and let others chart our paths for us or we can be involved and engage and hopefully moving it towards a better and more loving and compassionate place exactly um, mm -hmm. well, well marcia if people want to find you um mm -hmm. what are good ways for them to do that how do people sure. find you online uh I have a website called politicaltheologymatters.com. That'll be in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And you can go there. And on the homepage, if you uh, scroll down just a very little bit, you can download a, a, a giveaway, which has got six easy ways to get involved in political theology. Mm -hmm. And you can just download that and uh, get started. So politicaltheologymatters.com. And then uh, my email is Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A, at myptm.com, My Political Theology Matters. Uh, and you can email me there. Now, through your Political uh, Matters website, too, do you do trainings or teachings through there, too? Yes. Uh, we're in the process of getting some stuff on, on there, and uh, I can let you know when that happens. Um, so... Uh, uh, there are a few things now and on our YouTube channel that I've done. I convened the Public Theology Network for Province 5 of the Episcopal Church, and that's a bunch of gobbledygook to say the Midwest. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so we've done some uh, a variety of trainings there, uh, and I, you can find links to that stuff on my website. That's wonderful. Well, Marsha, I, I just, I appreciate your time and I appreciate your perspective that, that you, um, and I actually really appreciate your work because a lot of this, this, the, you know, the, your journey hasn't been an easy one to wrestle out. Um, but your passions are very evident and, and I believe the work that you're doing is, is, is very good. And I am excited about your upcoming book because I, I think that, um, it's an exciting thing to be making a little, well, political theology disciples. So to speak, to go out into the world to to cause a ruckus and and to to cause, to good cause trouble. a ruckus, yeah. or as my mother would say, or as my mother would say, to be a rabble rouser. To be a rabble rouser, I love it. I love it. So yes, Marcia, thank you so to much. To be a rabble rouser for being on the show, and we'll have you back. We'll have you back at the end of the year too. So thank you, Marcia.
All right. Oh, it's just been a, uh, a real pleasure. Thank you. So much thanks to the Reverend Dr. Marsha Ledford. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Sorry. I wanted to do that earlier, but that was unprofessional, so I had to get out of my system. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha! Well, all I hear all day long at school is how great Marsha is at this, or how wonderful Marsha did that. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha! Well, to Marsha's defense, Marsha is pretty great. Marsha is a lawyer and a priest. Come on! And we'll have Marsha back soon <laughs> towards the end of the year when her new book comes out. But thank you all. Thank you all for being a part of, of the show this hour. I appreciate you. And before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over an Apple podcast. It helps get the word out to new listeners. If you want to reach out to me, hit me up directly. Questions at snarkyfaith.com. So now I release you into the wild, wide world. I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. I'm out of here. Peace! Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations and communities together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and to each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. If you're a leader of a community of faith, Faith Street should be an app that you definitely check out. Snarky Faith listeners receive 20% off. So all you need to do is go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky. That's F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T dot com backslash snarky.